When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some bees talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Woo! Welcome into episode 213 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue. And Scott McLaughlin, Bridget and Scott, Trent Frederick, and Jeremy Swayman are in the fold going forward with the Boston Bruins. Scott, would you like to unravel how that came to be? Yeah, well, both were scheduled for arbitration hearings. Uh, Swayman actually went to one. They had the hearing on Sunday. Uh, arbitrator made his ruling on Tuesday and gave Swayman a one-year $3.475 million contract, which was basically right in the middle of where the Bruins came in, which was $2 million, which, you know, everyone knows is on the low side, but that's how arbitration works. Swayman and his agent came in at four point eight, which everyone knows is on the high side. But again, that's how you approach these things. Um, the, the Bruins reportedly actually could have accepted it as a two-year deal, which we can unravel a little later because that's kind of interesting. Um Trent Frederick, they avoided arbitration. Uh, his hearing was scheduled for Tuesday morning. I mean, for Tuesday afternoon. And on Tuesday morning, we got the news that the Bruins and Frederick had reached a two-year deal uh, worth $2.3 million per year. So, yeah, everyone's now signed. Uh, they have their full roster. It, You know, what we can get into more is it does get interesting because if they went – if you look at like their 23 man roster right now, which is, you know, maximum 23 guys. It's actually a little over the cap by about $375,000. So you you can go with a 22 man roster or potentially make some other move if you want to stick with 23. But yeah, they at least have uh, all the guys that they needed to get signed are at least signed now and they have a full roster. Yeah, guys, sorry for if you're watching on YouTube, the sun went in. So now I'm like in a dark, it looks like I'm in like a cave somewhere. But I'm uh, just hoping the sun comes back out in a sec. By the way, it got really cold. Like, I, I don't know, it already feels like fall. I, I, maybe it's because I was in New Hampshire, but all of a sudden I'm waking up and I'm like heating my slippers and I'm putting on my robe and I'm like, what happened to summer? It's August. It was August 1st. Like, what the hell? Um, but sorry to, to go back to the salary cap situation the Bruins are in after this. Um, Scott, I don't know if you want to, if you even know the answer to it. Um, because when you said they could have made the Swayman thing a two-year deal, does that mean like for the same amount of money both years, or like somehow split it to be cap compliant this year and push some of its next year? No, for the for the same amount of money. And basically, I think the reason that is is because it's Swayman, the player who took it to arbitration or you know officially filed for arbitration. Um, so the team would get the option. It's, it's kind of fascinating because like 
3.475 is really fair. And you would have yeah. to think if Swayman has a really good season, it's going to cost more than that next year. But I wonder if, you know, the reason that they kept it at one year is to try to kind of keep a good relationship with Swayman. Because if he, if he thinks 3.475 is a little low, then he's probably not going to be thrilled if he's kind of st- stuck with that for two years. So maybe it's a little bit of a kind of handshake. Hey, we, we had to play hardball this year because of our cap situation. No one really liked it, but we'll take care of you next year. Like we'll, we'll work towards that longer term extension type thing. Um, that's sort of my best guess, but you could also go the other way and say like, well, maybe it's a continuation of them playing hardball because they can now, have him as a restricted free agent again next year and, you know, potentially do like a two-year deal then, another bridge deal type thing. And like, so I guess you could kind of take that both ways, but the the more optimistic side would be that it's to kind of help keep a good relationship with Swayman. Yeah, I can't, I can't tell. I kind of actually lean towards it might be that second part that you said about, you know, continuing to be able to kind of have control over the situation um, for another season. But uh, either way, I think when we originally were talking cap at the very end of the season, we were talking about what would, what the calculated price would be for Swayman. And I, if I'm correct in remembering, I think it was 30.5 was pretty much what we came up with. So it's just below that. Obviously, Swayman asked for 4.8, which is a lot, and I don't know how the Bruins would have been able to make that work with the cap if he had gotten closer to that number, say if he got awarded 4.5 million a season. Um, That would have made things a lot tougher on the cap situation because as of right now, being $375,000 over the cap, I mean, that's a lot of money to us, but like in terms of cap, that's not not that much. Like there's ways to fix that. Um, and I don't, we're going to get into that too, what the Bruins can do to try to get under the cap. What now we've actually kind of got a better picture of what this team looks like, because it seems like moves are kind of settled. Bergeron's retired. The one thing we're still waiting on is the Krejci decision, but we kind of think we already know what it is. So we, I think we have a good, um, understanding now of where their cap situation is. It looks like they're going to be able to get under it. Um, and with the team that they have now, besides maybe um, having to waive Ian Mitchell or, um, you know, another one of their bottom players on the roster. So I don't know what you guys thought. I don't, and uh, Trent Frederick's contract, I think was fair as well. Frederick mentioned at the end of the season that he, um, he was like hoping that negotiations would go well and he, he wanted to stay in Boston. So uh, he didn't, he didn't want a, a drama filled arbitration. He didn't go to one. So that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. I think I think Frederick's two point eight was a was a very fair number for both sides, and I think that, yeah, I mean, it's simply put, it was very fair. I think that he very well could exceed that that value, um, but he also could, you know, based on last year's roster being so strong and everybody having career years, if he comes back down to earth, then maybe you look at it and you say, all right, well, it's two point eight. It's not it's not killing us on the books. And uh, but I definitely think for somebody who's you know it's, he's an interesting player because. You, at least in my mind, I kind of feel like he's still like a younger player and he is, what is he, 23, 24 years old. Um, but he's been on the Bruins for, 
I mean, I think his rookie year was when he fought Brandon Tanev against Winnipeg uh, in Boston when his when his dad was going crazy in the stands. Was that the 2018-2019 season or the 2017-2018 season even? Like it's been a it's been a while since he's been a pro. Yeah, I I'm leaning towards that being 18-19, but yeah, yeah. it was 18-19. He played 15 games, but then in the 2020 season, obviously a weird season, he only played two games. Um, so I don't know, like that's kind of like a wash a little bit, but um, mm. then he started getting more time each year after that until he played 79 games this past season. He's 24 years old. Is that what he is? Bridget? 24, 25. I accidentally exited out of it. <laughs> that's, that's okay. I mean, he's 25. He's 25. 25. So, you know, my point is 2.8 million for a guy who the Bruins hope is ready to come into his own and really hit a stride and, and enter the prime of his career. If he can be the player that he, that he was last year, if not better than and more, as you grow with confidence and tenure in the league and crafting your skill at this level, I think that 2.8 for, even though it's for, for, for a couple of years could be good value the next two seasons for him. Yeah. It, just to correct it, it's 2.3 per year. So even, even better for the Bruins. Um, and they, they were closer together to start Frederick and his agent filed at 2.9 for the arbitration hearing and the Bruins were at like 1.4. So a little easier to like find a clear middle ground and it actually ended up, you know, a little closer to Frederick's number. So that, you know, I'm sure he's all things considered relatively happy. Um, and, you know, I think last season established himself as a really solid third line winger and that's good money for, for a third line winger. Like that's, you know, just a deal that I think everyone should be fairly happy with. And now he's going to get a chance we think to see if he can prove himself as a third line center, he's going to be competing for that job. It likely will be either him or Morgan geeky, maybe an outside shot for a Merkulov or McLaughlin or Beecher. You know, I think more likely those guys are probably aiming at fourth line jobs, but um, yeah, you know, he's kind of one of the two guys who has an inside track to that job. And we saw him a little bit at center down the stretch last year. And, and in the playoffs uh, when Bergeron and Krejci were injured. So he'll get more of a run there, and that's you know a way he can build his value uh, even more for when this contract's up in two years, if he's able to keep growing, keep producing, take on more minutes, because you know he had good production last year, but was still playing under 12 minutes a game. So especially if he moves to center, that number's going to go up. You know, you, he could play... 14 minutes a game this year, you know, as a third line center. So, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's a bit of a bridge deal. He, what is different about this versus Swayman is Frederick will be an unrestricted free agent at the end of this. So, um, you know, two years to kind of prove himself and either, you know, eventually work towards probably a longer term deal with the Bruins or, um, build his market, you know, build his value for, for the open market. If he, if he ultimately gets there. Yeah. 2.3. You're right, Scott. I, I don't know why I thought 2.8, but as I look at that, it's even, yeah, to your point, it's even better. Um, he's, and, and he's one of those guys that like, if you think back and it does feel like a long time ago now, but you think back a few seasons ago, he, we had the same questions about him cracking the lineup and staying there as we did for someone like Jack Stanika, who's obviously not in Boston anymore. Um, so we had those similar questions about what 
Trent Frederick could do. Was he actually going to be able to figure out the NHL uh, speed of the game? Because he had had some difficulties um, transitioning, really. Um, and this past season, playing almost a full season, 17 goals, 14 assists, 31 points. Like, he had his his best year of his career, and he looked versatile. He looked like someone that, you know, you could rely on for – wing and potentially center, but also for some skill plays and some brute plays. Like he has a little bit of everything to his game and and we've watched him be able to make that jump. It wasn't super quickly, but now that he's there, um, you do feel more comfortable giving him more, more ice time, which he's going to need this season, especially if they're going to be moving him to center at certain points. And he's one of those guys who went from you felt like he could have been like in and out called up and down to now you feel like he's pretty safe and secure in his role and his spot in the roster. So you're, you're looking at other players that were thinking, okay, well, what if this person gets sent down waived, whatnot, but he seems to be, I would say he's pretty safe at this point. He's done enough to over the last year, pretty much secure his role and, and not have to deal with that kind of stress of, am I going to go up? Am I going to go down? He's, he's um, transitioned into that everyday player for the Bruins. So the, the deal I think makes sense in financially for the Bruins side. Um, it, it, you know, and Frederick, he was according to himself, wasn't going to be a huge part of the negotiations. Um, he was leaving that to his agent. I don't know how much he is hands-on with any of his contract stuff. He's kind of like a, I play the hockey, you guys deal with it kind of person. So um, and he was another thing that he, that stuck out to me for some reason, I really like have a very strong memory of talking to Frederick on, on like uh breakup day. I really like, feel like I remember the whole conversation for some reason. Um, but he also mentioned that cause I asked him about the potential of playing more minutes at center if guys moved on. And he was one of the only people who was like, who didn't answer the question like, Oh no, we want Bergie to come back. He's like, no, that'd be like, I, I want more time at center. Like, so he's, he's looking forward to being able to get those minutes um, down, down the middle. Yeah. I mean, he definitely has his, uh, his spot secured entering the season, but you still got to keep it there. I mean, I remember this time last year, I mean, I'll speak for myself. I remember this time going into this time last year, he was, he was very, I was very down on the player because he was, and he hadn't really done much with his opportunity. And then last preseason, in a preseason where I felt as though he was fighting for a job, I thought he was very lackluster. And we all we talked about it on the podcast. And we, he was he was one of the he had one of the worst camps I thought of of any Bruin last last uh, last fall. But fortunately for him, once the puck dropped for the regular season, he was he had a career year, and and that definitely has built confidence in me watching him. And it's definitely got him a spot in this roster going forward. That said. I still want to see him continue to develop and, and and be consistent. Like, can he do it again? Right. That's the question. And it was a great last year. Everybody had career years. Can he take that next step on a, with, with a lesser roster? And I, 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 I kind of do want to see more of it is, is, is my point. Can I yeah, give a quick like shout out to Charlie Coyle too? Because I feel like Charlie Coyle last year was one of the people that I always notice around Frederick and Frederick talked about how, Coyle like really helped him in his development and and you think about Coyle he's another center that was the third line center last year he's probably going to be important to Frederick's development this year as well yeah and that leads me right into my point which is you know can Frederick now be a driver on a line because 
Last year, he fit in really well playing off Coyle and off Taylor Hall a lot. And those are two really good guys to have next to you on a third line. Hall especially helps set up a lot of those chances that Frederick ends up finishing for his career high 17 goals. Okay, well, Taylor Hall's gone. Charlie Coyle's moving up in the lineup. You know, if you're if you're centering that third line, then it's your line. So that's going to be, you know, he at times has done that on the fourth line, been fourth line center, but that's a little different. You know, third line center, like we've talked about it a ton in the past, how important third lines are. So that's, you know, if he wins that job, like that's the next challenge is now, can, can you be the guy? Can you be the leader on the line? Can you, you know, help set up your, your wings in addition to finishing your own chances? Because uh, we, we saw last year, like, okay, he can finish chances. He has a pretty good shot. Um, you know, he, I think he's good defensively. I think Trent Frederick has, you know, that's probably been an underrated part of his game, but I think has been pretty strong for a couple of years now. We've seen him get more involved on the penalty kill. Um, but, you know, third line has to score, especially on a team that might be, you know, a, a man or two short in the top six. Like, you're going to need some contributions from the third line. Doesn't have to be the greatest scoring third line of all time. Doesn't have to even match last year's. But you've got to contribute offensively. It can't – your third and fourth lines can't both just be shut down, you know, try to play low event hockey. Like, that third line's got to – put up some points and if Frederick's going to be the center, he's going to, you know, be someone who, who helps create those chances and, and drive offense. And, and Scott, I, this, this actually, I just was thinking of the article you posted where you kind of try to put the lines together the way they might be right now. And looking at that third line, it would be Frederick with uh Boquist and Morgan Geeky, and that's a young line. Like that's Frederick and Geeky are 25, and or and Boquist is 24, I think. So they're that's a young third line. Um, of I would say of those three, Frederick is the more established of them, and and Morgan Geeky is also someone that can play center. So that you know you you kind of see the dynamics of that line um, as it's going to have to prove itself a lot because they that's three players who have never played with each other before. They're all in their mid twenties. Um, and two of them might want to be the center of that line. So uh, it's, it's going to have an interesting dynamic if that's what the line looks like. Yeah. I yeah. Think... And go ahead. Scott. And, and it could be, you know, a Lauko who forces his way up there instead of a Boquist or, you know, or even one of the younger guys, like Sell or Merkulov or whatever, like there's clearly competition there, but Frederick is someone that at least on paper you look at and, and lock him in. Like it would be, you know, it'd be really disappointing if like a week or two from the season, we're like, is Frederick going to end up on the fourth line instead? Like that would, that would not be good. Like he's got to be a third liner and along with geeky or, you know, if they end up on the same line, like, be one of the guys who who drives that. He should be pretty locked into that spot. Yeah, and, that, and that's one of the those players that you mentioned and others. Like, that's part of what I'm really excited for this season. And I've mentioned it to you guys in the past. Like, the way that last season ended, it kind of, I mean, clearly, it left a really 
sour taste in everybody's mouth. And it's like, well, now we're going to sit through another regular season. How can another regular season possibly top the one we just watched? And from a success standpoint, it can't. But from an entertainment standpoint and like a storyline standpoint, it certainly can. Because last year, the storyline was they just keep winning. And but next year, the storyline is going to be, yeah, can a, can a, can a fresh face line of, of mid 20s, you know, on a third line, can they be something? Can can Pavel Zaka emerge as a true number one or number two, bona fide number two center? Um, like there, there's, can, 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 can Merkulov enter the fold? Can Lysel enter the fold? Like, does anybody from the, from the system emerge? And those are storylines that we didn't have, have the opportunity to see last year because there was such a well-oiled machine that going into next year, that's, 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 that's going to be fun to watch and definitely interesting. And I definitely feel like, look, there's, there's much to be desired right now at center ice, even if Zaka and Coyle and Frederick or Geeky or whomever, end up being like a, you know, having really strong seasons. Like there's still, there's still a guy short up the middle, a uh, top six guy up the middle short. That said, there, 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 are, there are some, there's not a lot of expectations for some of these players, but some of these players and some of these combinations get in this system with, uh, with more minutes from their previous roles, whether it was in Boston or elsewhere, um, there's 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 a pretty decent ceiling for some of these young players. I mean, Morgan Geeky and Trent Frederick having the seasons that they've had in the past with the limited minutes that they've had. I mean, Scott, you mentioned Frederick was under 12 minutes a game or something like that, and he's you know he's he's uh, almost a 20 goal scorer. So, I mean, it's yeah, it's it, it's exciting to watch. Bridget, to your point earlier, like you're kind of seeing what this team might look like in the fall, and short of a couple of players emerging in camp and maybe that coming out of like, like a murky law or a life cell, which I mean, that'd be, that'd be a very not unexpected, but I don't think it's necessarily like on the radar right now that they'll crack the team out of camp, but you kind of, you're kind of looking at what we're going to see in the fall. And and if this is what we're looking at in the fall, am I expecting them to win a president's trophy? Nope. Do I need them to? Certainly not. <laughs> Certainly not. Not after last year. Um, but I do think the team's competitive. I think they're, the personnel is a little bit shy up front, but I think they're competitive, and I'm really interested to see how a lot of these players do with um, with accelerated roles and, and bigger roles on a team that they haven't had before. Yeah, and when you think about that line in particular, you nailed it, Brian. Like Those are going to be a big step up probably in minutes and in like their importance because – um, then they, then they've ever had minus Frederick because he's played a third line role before, but Boquist was somebody that hasn't quite emerged yet the way that, um, some people expected him to, though he's, you know, heading in that direction, hopefully. And he also has a lot of speed. So that line with as young as it is, um, and the players it has on it, it could be a really quick line, um, and potentially a versatile line. So, I do think that that could that could be something of interest. Of course, sometimes you bring in players and you hope they mesh right away, and they don't. So uh, it could be a question of chemistry throughout the season. Maybe at some point they find it. Maybe they don't. Maybe you have to move someone to the the fourth line, or maybe even like you're like, okay, this guy doesn't fit in our fit in what our game plan is, and you wave them. Like it's there's a lot of questions, and that is going to be a lot for Scott and I to write this season, especially um, in the early parts. Yeah, and of, co- of course, like we haven't even mentioned Milan Lucic in this equation yet, because I think everyone's just penciling him in as fourth line left wing, and like okay, you just stick him there. But 
you know, I don't maybe finds a fountain youth and like he contributes on a third line. That I'm not expecting that. But while we're tossing all these other names around, like he is there. Like we do we do have to include him. And you know, the, I don't I don't think I know people like cynically think they brought him in just because he's a fan favorite or whatever, but it's like I don't think they're signing him for a million dollars just to walk around and wave to fans. Like he, you know, he does actually have to play and contribute and it might just be in that fourth line left wing role. And that might be his home. And maybe he's even in and out of the lineup, but um, yeah, they're going to give him a chance to along with all these other guys to show that maybe there's still a little more there. Um, You know, so he's, he's in that, in that mix as well. But, uh, and as a guy that, you know, Frederick can, even if they're not on the same line, like he's someone in sort of that bottom six groove that he can potentially lean on and, you know, work with. Like, like I think obviously with Coyle, he did because they were line mates, but I think like Trent Frederick learned from Nick Felino as well. Like I think that was also a good relationship. So um, yeah, it, it is going to be fascinating because it's, it's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of guys and you can see like a lot of different combinations and things you mentioned Boquist speed, obviously Lauko has some speed as well. And like, those are kind of different elements because, you know, I think Frederick's probably a better skater than maybe people give him credit for, but it's not like he's a blazer. Morgan Geeky's not, not super fast. Like skating's been the question mark for him. We know Lucic is, you know, was never the fastest and certainly isn't now at 35 years old. Um, so the, those guys who have some, some quickness, like they, I think they're going to be important because you probably want, you know, at least someone who can bring that like on each line, which is why I see, you know, a Bokrist or Lauko on that third line, or even, you know, Lysel, if he can make a push, but, um, you know, I think that the Bruins wanted to get a little heavier and they, and they certainly have, but it is also a fast game. So like you can't totally sacrifice that, which is why I think you saw, you know, a signing like Boquist come in late because, I think they're kind of looking and they're like, yeah, you know, we probably could use another speed guy somewhere in this bottom six mix. And, um, you know, so you go get him and throw him in and, and see what he can do. Like, you know, like you guys mentioned, like he hasn't really established himself yet, but like there has, there have been some flashes, you know, um, he was another guy like Frederick and geeky that like on a per minutes basis at five on five last year had pretty good production on the devils. So, um, you know, but ultimately fell out of favor in the playoffs when they had a deeper team post trade deadline and he ended up sort of in and out of their lineup. Um, but yeah, it, it, it could go way south where we're like, Oh my God, there's no one in the bottom six who can score. Like that's, that's in play. Like that's on the table is like the Bruins potentially just might not have very much offense at all in their bottom six, but there to Brian's point, like there's also that upside of, all right, some of these guys have, you know, promising rate stats and lower roles. Maybe they do blossom. You know, maybe we see Frederick top 20 goals and 40 points or something. Maybe geeky does keep producing the way he was in, in fewer minutes and, you know, takes that level up to a 14 minute role or something. So, um, yeah, there, there's there's jobs to be won there, and there are opportunities for guys to show that they can produce. And you know, we're we're gonna see, but the, they're gonna need it from someone. 
Scott, I'm going to raise you this. You said that we could be looking at a bottom six that can't score. <laughs> there, in my mind, there's a chance that there's only like one line this season that this will this could be a storyline too. Yeah, there's like a one line this season that might be producing like a majority of the goals because if you if you stack the first line, Marshawn, Zaka, Pasternak, what you're left with is Van Riemsdyk, Coil, DeBrusque. Don't know if that line is going to be a big um, high-scoring line. Bokus, Frederick, Geeky, and then Lucci, Patrick Brown, and Lauco or, or AJ Greer. Um, so if you really think about it, those those bottom nine forwards or ten, if you're including Greer, um, they're not the the highest-scoring people. DeBrusque would be the the biggest goal scorer in that bottom six grouping that I just listed, but. He also had his career year on a line with Marshawn and Bergeron. And these are not like no offense to Coyle and Van Riemsdyk, but those guys are not Marshawn and Bergeron. So like the, the focus on that line, if that were to be what they roll with for the second line would be on DeBrusque. He would be the threat that people would more have to focus on. And um, when you have Bergeron and Marshawn on your line, you know, they're drawing focus and leaving uh, DeBrusque open and, you know, that way everything's more balanced. But I mean, we could be talking about that uh month two into the season. Like, okay, well, the first line of Marshawn Zaka Pasternak is scoring. Where the hell else are they gonna be getting goals from? Yeah, and I think I think that's why this is gonna be such an interesting season. Like the this Bruins team has potential to be a really solid playoff team. And they have the potential to be a, I don't know, not, not a, not, not a bottom five team in the East, but like they could, but they could certainly be a, uh, they could certainly miss the playoffs. No doubt about it. And, and, you know, they, that's, that's kind of the risk you take when you kind of money ball a roster that they, they've kind of money balled this year with some of these players. I mean, obviously like it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a hard cap. Everybody's spending to the cap, but I'm just saying like when you had the season you had last year, and you had to let a lot of these players go because you can't afford them, quite frankly. And you have to pay the bonus overage to Bergeron and Krejci from last year. The Bruins have they had to try to find some some diamonds in the rough and hope that they are indeed diamonds. And and yeah, um, Scott asked a question earlier. Like he looks at Trent Frederick and says, "Can Trent Frederick drive a line? Be a lot, be a driver of a line?" And that that's gonna that's my question for Jake DeBrusque. Can Jake DeBrusque be a driver of a line? And there might be some underlying statistics that that would show that last year he did in fact drive a lot of offense being with Bergeron and create uh, Bergeron and Martian. Like he may have driven some of that offense because like, it's easy to look at that line and be like, well, Bergeron and Martian drive that line and DeBrus was along for the ride. And I, I'm one of them, but maybe there's some advanced statistics that, that Scott like looks into and people like Scott who honestly do dive into those numbers that could say, well, actually DeBrus did help a lot of offense driven and transition and whatnot from him. But regardless, this cannot be a season where Jake DeBrusque is a passenger at all. He needs to step up. He's, I want to say, 26 years old. He's in his prime, and he's a 30-goal – he's a potential 30-plus goal scorer in this league, and he needs to recognize, along with some of these other younger players, that, yeah, like, like aside from Brad Marchand, like, like the teachers are gone. Like, it's, it's, it's time to step up and, and, and be – these middle middle NHL veterans now they're no longer kids like remember like that 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 
that commercial back in the day, like they're too young, the kids are too, too young, whatever. It's like, they're not kids anymore. Like they're all, they're all in their, their, their mid twenties entering the second half of their twenties. And Jake DeBrusque needs to drive that line. Cause Bridget, you're absolutely right. Uh, I'd look at the top six and I say, well, if David Pasternak goes down, they're like, they're screwed. And you could say, you could say the same last year. Cause he's such an important player, but there's a lack of depth right now and high end depth. So it'll be interesting to see and somebody like Jake DeBrusque stepping up and cause I don't expect JVR or Coyle to be, to be driving a line. Coyle is being asked to be a player that I don't think he is. I don't think he's a top two center. I think he can carry the weight here and there, but he's not going to drive a second line. JVR at this stage in his career is not going to do that. Jake DeBrusque, he can, will he? We'll find out. If I'm if I'm being real though with you, I I think I've said this before, and I assume this will be how I feel up until we see it for the first time. I actually want Coyle to center Marshawn and DeBrusque, and I would prefer yeah. to have Van Riemsdyk, Zaka, Pasternak. Call either one of those the first line doesn't really matter. One of those is the second line, um, and that way things are more spread out. And then you're not asking one guy to drive the second line like you're. You know, you you have if you have Coyle centering Marshawn and DeBrusque, the, each game somebody different on that line might be able to be the guy that steps up because Coyle um, defensively is really good and, and and he can drive games at times, including in the playoffs when he was moved up when Bergeron and Krejci were out. So I think that balances things better. And then you're not asking so much of say DeBrusque um, and and you know, you keep them with Marshawn. I tend to think that's the better option. And then you also are able to keep Zaka with pasta and hope Van Riemsdyk uh, balances that line out well enough. And he's kind of the veteran on that line. That's what I think would work best. Obviously we haven't seen it yet. So uh, that'll, that'll be the, the consideration that has to be made. Yeah. I, I agree that that makes a lot of sense because what we're, ta- what we're talking about before, we're like, there's a chance where that, second line of uh Van Reams like Coyle DeBrusque go sign like then you're you're looking at the 2021-22 team um pre you know the shakeup that moved Pasanak off the perfection line put him with Eric Halla and like then you finally started to get a second line going um you know you could be looking at a situation like that and on DeBrusque also worth noting a contract year for him he's entering the final year of his deal and you know he's obviously looking for for a payday like this could potentially if he has a really good season his next contract could potentially be the biggest payday of his career and um you know i saw something in in the athletic uh that they did this week on it was like on contract efficiency which is basically you know which teams have guys signed to the best deals and aren't you know throwing away money on contracts that project to to be bad or, you know, players who aren't projected to live up to their contracts and the Bruins still ranked fourth in the NHL. So the main takeaway there isn't necessarily that they have like the fourth best roster or anything. It's that they don't have many bad contracts or certainly not anything that they're tied into long-term that's going to hurt them. Um, But while looking at that, DeBrusque's value based on just based on this model, which comes from the athletics, dumb Lucision, who's like, they're, super advanced stats guy um, based on like last year and projecting going forward, his value is 8.2 million, which 
I don't think Jake DeBrus is going to get unless he like really goes off for like a 40 goal season or something. But there certainly is a scenario where he has another good year and he's looking at, you know, he's making four million right now, looking at like a pay jump to the six, six and a half range, you know, something like a Taylor Hall contract. Like, you know, let's be honest. He, he was more productive than Taylor Hall last year. Um, now part of that's the line he's playing on, but I also don't think it's a stretch at all to say that he just straight up had a better season. Um, you know, so he has that in play too. And yeah, whether that's, you know, playing with Martian and Coyle and helping to elevate that line because we know Coyle isn't Bergeron or on, you know, what Coyle, Van Reems, like whatever it is where he's the go-to guy on a second line, like, yeah, it's, it's a huge year for him, both because of his role on the team and what he's going to mean to their success this year, because you can't just have Pasternak and Marchand providing all the offense. Other guys have to step up and DeBrusque should be, you know, him and Zaka, like the third and fourth guys in terms of pr- production, um, you know, and he has a huge opportunity here to, you know, to help the team and also help himself going forward and earn, you know, a, a sizable payday. And in, he's another storyline, not just for the on the ice stuff this season, but because of the contract coming up, he's, if, if they're buyers or sellers, you know, say the Bruins are not as good as we expect them to be. They're not a playoff team. They become sellers. Do they sell Jake DeBrusque? Do they extend him during the season? Do they wait for free agency to start and he kind of just gets to go out there and find his price. That's another storyline that has nothing to do with how the team, well, with how he's playing necessarily um, because those are, those are more off the ice things. And um, besides maybe that being traded at the deadline, if he's created value for another team that might want him. Um, And we've mentioned before about adding a center. Maybe that's what route they go at some point during the season. We don't know yet. They maybe they'll be buyers. We don't know. So, uh, just another storyline with him. Actually, uh, funny. Funny enough, I was just looking at Taylor Hall's statistics because when you brought up the fact that DeBrusco performed last year, it's interesting that last year it, the Bruins were so dynamic offensively and and all all around. He only had thirty six points last year. Taylor Hall did, and I and I and I know he, I know he was playing a lot of third line minutes and whatnot, but. Uh, yeah, I find that interesting. Now he played 61 games, so he didn't play a full 82 game season. But and in, in any event, I guess what I'm saying is, um, yeah, like like Jake DeBrusque, you know, in the future could definitely uh, be making be making six six million dollars if he if he has a good year. Uh, and yeah, Bridget, to your point, we'll see how the year shakes out, and maybe maybe they are selling Jake DeBrusque at the at the deadline. And um, you know, it's it's never great to to give away uh, a top six talent, but. Mm-hmm. But you know, he, if you if you don't think you're going to be able to re-sign him, then you exactly. got to get something back. Exactly, and so and we'll so we'll, and that's that's definitely a uh, cross that bridge when we get to it. But you're right, that's that's that, that's why like the, the, I don't know. There's an excitement level to this season of like I have no idea what to expect right now. This this season's like a mystery airhead. I have no idea what flavor is coming out of this package right now. It is insane. Um, question for you guys: Do you think the Bruins ideally want to be spending? And allocating around ten million dollars in goaltending next season, if if Swayman were to get a pay raise, and you're paying Allmark five million, I know the cap's going to go up. I know they're going to have, 
you know, more cap space available for them next season. But is that an ideal figure to be spending on goaltending around 10 million, whether it's, I know some, some, some teams spend almost 10 million for one goalie. Um, but I'm just going to ask you guys that question. No, I don't really think it is. Uh, you know, we, we talked this off season about, Hey, if the right deals out there, you know, it might be time to, to trade all Mark, you know, mostly we focus on all Mark, but I guess potentially Swayman. Yeah. If Swayman's going to get a, if he has another really good season, you are probably looking at a jump into the four and a half, five million dollars salary range. And yeah, I don't, I don't think that's ideal, especially if, you know, I'll say Brandon Bussey because he's probably the most notable, but say Bussey's ready. Like ultimately between Bussey, Kyle Kaiser, Michael DiPietro, like if any of those guys are ready, you can't bury them in the minus forever. So that's an easy way to get cheaper at the position. So yeah, I think, trading a goalie whether it's you know if they fade this year and they're not really in it come trade deadline time it could be then or next summer when all marks going into the final year of his deal like i think that's absolutely on the table and it's not even you know look having a great goaltending duo is awesome and if all mark and swayman are even 90 percent of what they were last year then the Bruins are still going to win a lot of games and pretty comfortably be a playoff team. Like really good goaltending gets you that far. Um, But at some point, yeah, having $10 million tied up in that position um, is gets harder to justify. And, you know, especially if you're a team that's going to be looking for a one or two center and you're going to need money to be able to do that because that's going to be an expensive player. Um, yeah, that's an, a very obvious spot to potentially deal away from. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I have no interest in spending that much money on goaltending. I don't think you need to. Uh, yeah, in a year like this where offense might be a challenge for Boston outside of David Pasternak, uh, you're going to need that goaltending when, when this is your roster. But you don't need you don't need to be spending. If And look, I'm not trying to pull a recency bias and look around the league, and I know – I mean, you just you just don't. I mean, Tampa Bay, look, they had Andre Vasilevsky, sure, but, you know, uh, and they paid him whatever he was worth because he was the best goaltender in the world. But you just – you see it with Vegas this past year. Like, you saw, you saw it with St. Louis with Bennington. You've seen it in Chicago. Chicago won three cups, and I think they did it with two goalies or three goalies. I don't even know. I think it was two, three, two. Um you know, it's just, you, you just, you, you can find, you can find goaltending. It's the most important position on the ice, but it's not the most, you, you can, you can, you can, you can find good goaltending uh, a lot easier than you can find, or at least serviceable goaltending. If you have, a, if you have a, a good starter, you can find, you can find a replaceable. I mean, look, honestly, look at the Bruins in the last like decade. I mean, when they, when they had, when they were spending all that money on two grass, like they had no choice but to spend cheaper backups. I mean, look at the role decks of guys that they, that, that, that were on the Bruins um behind Tuka Rask since call it 2014 I mean I'll, I'll miss some names but you had Alex Ald you had uh Anton Hudobin you had uh, uh Yaroslav Halak there's probably a couple other guys I'm just blanking on Svedberg Svedberg uh, uh what's his name in uh what to Calgary um Vladar. Vladar. I mean look I just think if you find your guy and if the guy's swimming I just think you say you might just try to move all mark at some point next year. Um, 
But anyway, I agree with you, Scott. I don't think you need to spend $10 million next year. So if, if, if Swayman's getting a pay raise next year from Boston, then Allmark's got to go. But that's not for that's not for this year. I was more so talking about next year. So you're saying only one more season at goalie hugs? Mm-hmm. And I don't think there'll be uh, 61 of them this year or whatever. <laughs> Probably <laughs> not. What did we have last year? 65 in regular season? Six yeah. I don't think, yeah. Well, yeah, I think they ended up at sixty-five. Yeah, they'll probably they'll, they'll they'll be lucky if they end up around. They'll probably end up around forty-five to fifty goalie hugs this year, probably. If they're, I mean, if they're lucky with the fifty, I mean, probably around forty-five, and they'll need some. Yeah. Anyway, but yes, probably the last season of goalie hugs, regardless of how many there are. Okay, guys, any any final takeaways from this week? Uh, the. One big story to kind of keep an eye on around the league right now is that um, the whole Hockey Canada scandal from the like World Junior team several years ago. Uh, there was a report this morning from uh, Andy Strickland on from the Cam and Strick podcast that he's hearing that five notable players around the NHL are going to be suspended as a result of this sexual assault investigation. Um, I think it was the 2019 world junior team. Um, he, he, he weird, he like worded it in a weird way where he said like, he's heard the names, but he's not going to share them or whatever. Um, but that's gonna, it, none of them are Bruins. So no, you know, no direct Bruins tie, but, uh, if you, if you look, just look like at that team, there's some pretty big names on that roster. And a bunch, some of those guys have already been cleared because they weren't even like at this event where it took place. Um, but yeah, not, not, not a good story, but something that seems to kind of be coming down the pike in the next little bit before the season starts. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of one that has been on the back burner for a while. So the like new news on that is, is going to be interesting, impossible to, you know, really think of speculate on, too, so we'll have to wait um, to see when that comes out. But that, I mean, five notable players, you said, Scott, but that doesn't mean it's just five players. Like, it could be more. True. Yeah, I mean, because, I, yeah, I do think there's a couple guys from that team who, like, aren't in the NHL anymore. So I don't mm-hmm. I don't guess they wouldn't qualify as notable. I mean, I don't know. But, yeah, very obviously bad situation. And, you know, I'm certainly not going to guess or speculate on the names but um yeah that was so a little bit of news that broke like shortly before we we started recording yep yeah and i i don't really have anything that that we haven't already covered um this is mostly a uh arbitration slash avoiding arbitration conversation and um i know we also talked a lot about what the lineup looks like um we didn't talk at all about the defense but that's because that's the one area where there should be a little bit less drama. Um, goaltending, too, like that, there shouldn't be anything dramatic going on with goaltending. You wouldn't think those are two really good goalies, both locked up now. Um, I trust both of them. Defense, feel like you trust still. So the the drama comes with the mi- mixed matched lines up in the forward group. So. Um, yeah, I guess that's that's our takeaway for today. 
Yeah, I mean, up on the back end, I mean, take out the 20 games from Orloff you had in the, after the deadline last year in the playoffs. I mean, you're, it's the same defense and the same goaltending. You're just replacing Connor Clifton with Kevin Shattenkirk. I mean, one through six, they're, they're still they're, – they're, they're, I mean, in my opinion, they're still a top five decor in the league. I mean, arguably top three probably. So it's just a matter of uh, – it's a matter of upfront for me. Now, can they can they have a bad year? Sure, but but there's no there's nothing based on the personnel and what I've seen out of them as a group for the last handful of years. Um, even without Hampus Lindholm, um, before he came to Boston, like their track record speaks for itself. The defense and the goaltending should shouldn't be a question. Um, there might be some off nights, but overall, they shouldn't be a question. It's up front where they this team has to carry the weight um, more so than maybe what the personnel is projecting. Also, one so I just noticed this, and I don't know when they updated it, but cap friendly currently, it's like if people are happen to look while listening, uh, they do have the Bruins under the cap right now, but that's because they they sent down Jason Magna from the forward group, um, so they do have a twenty two man roster, and I think so they have eight defensemen on the Bruins NHL roster. I, I would think the Bruins would be more likely to have. 13 forwards, seven defensemen, then 12 forwards, eight defensemen. Um, so that's why, like, I talk as if Lauko's on the NHL roster or you could, you know, if you think someone's going to beat him out or whatever, but a 13th forward in there, um, which is why we mentioned earlier, like, you could send, you could wave Ian Mitchell or I guess if, like, Jacob Zaboral has a bad camp, it could be him. Um either one of those guys has to go through waivers. So you do risk losing them. If, if you waive them, um, obviously if they go unclaimed, you can then send them to Providence, but uh, yeah, just wanted to clarify. That's why, you know, we were talking about potentially sending a defenseman down, even though uh, cap friendly does say that the Bruins are under the cap right now. All right. Great clarification there from Scott, as always, before we before we wrap it up. So if you guys have nothing else, I think that'll probably do it. So thank you all very much for listening, and we will talk to you very soon.